G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast and YouTube channel. We're one third of the way through the AFL fantasy season. They say time flies when you're having fun and I'm not sure if I'm having a hell of a lot of fun but uh, this season is going past in a blur. We had a pretty good week, most coaches managed to post decent scores, there were some huge scores from players but there are a lot of dudes who were hit by injuries as well so... It was a bit of a mixed bag, but like I said, most coaches managed to scrape their way to somewhere around the 2,100 mark, uh, something around what I scored, I think seemed about par. I moved up in rank for the fourth straight week, so things are looking alright at the large fries and coke. There's plenty to talk about after round eight, so without further ado, let me dive into today's wrap Alright, starting with the aforementioned large fries and coke. 2-1-24 is what I scored, which is about the same number of times that Kawhi Leonard's buzzer beater bounced around the ring before dropping, which if you don't understand, I'm talking about the NBA playoffs, and uh, that, that is a topic that I'm not going to dive into too heavily, but I'm still kind of in shock at the fact that Toronto won in such epic fashion, but... Good on the wraps. Uh, I'll always bleed true for a little bit of the Toronto Raptors. I still uh, want the Cavs to win the lottery, but shifting my attention back to AFL Fantasy, and my defense was solid on the weekend, mainly my rookies, actually. Sydney Stack and Marty Hawk can hold their heads high. They've definitely uh, been invited on the end-of-season trip at this rate. A 96 and an 81 is pretty good scores from rookies. It was a bit of a mixed bag apart from that. I think Brody Smith's almost topped out in value. Zach Williams was good. Laird posted 105, so I can't be complaining about that. And Jake Lloyd, who I'll talk about a bit later, was not as captivating as we expect him to be. I think teams are kind of cluing into how he's played a bit. Hopefully, he can uh, restore the faith for coaches against North Melbourne. My bench wasn't great. I traded in Lockie Young from the Bulldogs. Just traded Scrimshaw out. Just a bit of a cash grab there. And yeah, it didn't turn out to be great, but... As I'm going to address again soon in the video, there's not a lot of reliable downgrade targets at the moment. So the defense was pretty good, mainly the rookies. The midfield was also a bit of a mixed bag. Unfortunately, I had two injury hit players in Matt Crouch and Jack Ross, and their scores kind of kept me under the 2-2 threshold. But I'm not going to go complaining too much. I've been pretty lucky with injuries this year. I got bitten by Dangerfield like most people and Tommy Rockliffe when he got concussed. But apart from that, knock on wood, I've been pretty lucky. So Cripper was good. I can't really complain with Taranto's 90 after his really slow start. Rockliffe was sensational. I'm glad that I didn't rage trade him, and I think a lot of coaches uh, will be in a similar boat. Hopefully, you're not listening to this and got rid of Rocky. And there's a favourable run coming up for Port, so hopefully he can stay hot. I think they got the Gold Coast this weekend from memory. Quickly addressing the rookies, Sam Walsh. He's got some tough opponents. He played Collingwood on the weekend. He's got the Giants coming up, but I think I'm going to hold him probably up until his buy in round 14, maybe even past that. I'll see how my trades pan out. Drew was all right, considering he's in that Ollie Wines role. I wanted a bit more, but I'm being a bit greedy there. Spewing, I had Charlie Constable on my bench. I did consider putting him on my field in case he was going to be a late inclusion, and that's all right. At least I've still got him. Will Hayes was fine, but... Gus Brayshaw is the one that uh, is really coming under a lot of fire and is going to be the victim of a lot of rage trades this week. I might hold him. I don't know if I'm going to uh, going to stand fast and stick with him because he's not playing a fantastic role at the moment and uh, might have to go because he's bleeding a bit of cash. But usually, like I say, you've got to stick with your premiums and like I just talked about with Tom Rockliffe, they can bounce back in epic fashion. So solid effort from the midfield into the rucks. 
Captain Brody Grundy delivered for me. I can't really complain when the second highest score of the round was on my skipper. Tied with Tom Rockley for the 149, so was stoked with that. And Jared Witts, even though a 75 isn't fantastic, he was going up against Maxi Gone, and they almost cancelled each other out to a certain extent. So not too depressed with the rucks. I really want a bench ruck to roll through soon. Hopefully, uh, wishful thinking, but I want someone with around 12 bias so that I can have a perfect system there. But... Uh, yeah, probably being a bit greedy there. Finally, into the forwards, and probably my best group uh, for this round. Brian Myers, starting at the back and working up, was fantastic. Jack Billings needed a couple of snags to get his 90, but that's okay. Like I've said a couple of times, not all fantasy scores are created equally, and he probably won't go kicking two goals every week, but he might get a few more marks and tackles when he's not playing the Eagles, who are a pretty tough opponent. James Warple's someone who... You could almost explore a trade if you don't own one of the big three who I luckily do in Dangerfield, Boke and T. Kelly. Then you might want to chop out Warple for one of them. But like I mentioned, those three players were great. Danger, rumoured to be a laid out all week. And I thought I'd put uh, Timmy, Tommy Atkins sorry, as my emergency because if Dangerfield was out, surely Tom Atkins would have a bit of a bigger role. And turns out that didn't really uh, come to fruition because he hurt his hamstring and as a result only scored a two. Pushed through and played about half the game still, but he's probably on the chopping block for me. And uh, Josh Corbett continues to go up in value. I think he'll be Matthew Parker 2.0 and keep putting up these 50s and 60s and probably rise maybe another 100 grand in, in price, wishful thinking. But again, he's another bloke that I hope can get me through the buy rounds with a handy round 14 buy. So that's how the large fries and coke went. Pretty good. A few injury bites didn't really, uh, or held me back a little bit. But like I said, I'm going up in rank, so I can't really complain. The favourite five starts this week with a Melbourne Demon in Clayton Oliver. We all know he's capable of these huge scores and 15 tackles he had on the weekend against Gold Coast, which helped propel him to a round high 161. There are a lot of coaches who might have started with him early and then given up hope, but he had a 130 not too long ago, and he's showing good signs with this massive score, so he's definitely someone you want to consider as a trade target. Keeping trade targets in mind, I'll discuss all of them in a minute, but you do want to really nut out a good buy structure because we've only got three weeks, four weeks, four sets of trades, I think. What's my math? We've got around nine trades, 10 trades, and 11 trades. We've got three weeks of trades, six trades until the buy rounds, including three in round 12, of course. But yeah, I'm waffling, but not many trades left, so keep buy structure in mind. But yeah, Clayton Oliver with around 13 buy from memory is someone you want to consider. Plus four goes to Brody Grundy. Could have gone to Tommy Rockleaf, probably sided with Grundy because he was the most popular captain this week in the AFL fantasy world, and boy did he deliver. He had 48 hitouts, 25 touches, a couple of snags. It seems like this is almost just a mundane day for Brody Grundy now, and I know that he won't be kicking these goals every week and probably flatline an average in the 115-120 bracket, but it's a clear example of why you pay up for the big dog. Rocky bounced back, as I mentioned, to Ty Grundy for the second highest score this week, and he gets the plus three as a result. Huge 149. Was a little bit slow to start, but then... Actually, he wasn't slow to start, but he scored in bursts. He seemed like he was going up 20 points every time he went near the footy. He'd get a tackle, then a kick and mark, and then do a little bit of everything. So hopefully, like I said, he can continue this form against the Gold Coast. Interestingly, and I'm sure there's a few players you can say this for, but if you take away... Rocky's worst score when he got injured against Brisbane, then he'd have the highest average in the AFL fantasy world. So someone that if you don't own, you probably want to get in because like I said, their run is pretty tasty coming up.
I'm hearing a lot about Tim Kelly maybe being a top five player in the competition. And while I'm not ready to jump the gun and declare that, he might be a top five fantasy player considering his forward eligibility. He would have three Brownlow votes coming his way after his masterclass against uh, North Melbourne on the weekend. Hopefully he can come back to WA and uh, just decide against joining the West Coast Eagles and Don Purple. But regardless, I don't really care what colour he's wearing as long as he's in my forward line scoring huge scores. Had a 140 on the weekend, looked poised, kicked a pretty wicked goal on the boundary line, and he's only 24 or 25 from memory, so hopefully he's a fantasy god for the next 5 to 10 years in our sides. Once again, the plus one could have gone in a variety of different directions, but I'm going with a bit of a unique bloke, and Mitch Duncan is someone who year after year is severely underrated. He had a fantastic score on the weekend against North, and he's got, a, I think, the best three-round average in the entire competition, so... He's a sneaky someone you might want to consider with just 1% ownership. I did a bit of a POD article, which stands for Player of Difference. Pods, we like to call them. I'm sure you're aware of that if you're listening to this podcast or watching this video. But did a bit of an article on Sports by Fry before the round and broke down a few pods, including Mitch Duncan. And if you're after someone, again, with that buy structure in mind, then you might want to take a punt on Mitchie Duncan because it's a nice, unique to have. And he seems to have a pretty high fantasy Floor, which is great for midfielders and is always around the footy for Geelong. The frustrating five this week starts with none other than Jake Lloyd, who went over 120 for a month to start the season in every contest and has really looked mortal in the last few weeks. His three-round average is only just over 80. I wouldn't go trading him out or doing anything crazy, but like I said, defences seem to, or teams' offences, uh, opposing uh, players and teams seem to have figured him out a little bit and he's not getting as many cheap kicks. Does seem to take the majority of Sydney's kick-ins as well and the Swans are struggling a bit so you can chalk up a few of those things as a perfect storm for why he's scoring low but we need you to lift Lloydy. He's a tricky one to peg and the negative four goes to Steve Cornelio this week. He's having an annoying season I'd word it. There's about a quarter of the competition that owns him and he keeps fluctuating between these 120s and these 70s and a lot of coaches wouldn't have been stoked to see him sitting on three or four points at quarter time. He managed to scrap his way to around a 70, 76 or 4 from memory. So, yeah, not great cogs of someone that we all expected to be a top 8 midfielder at the start of the year. And he's not really consistently putting up top 8 midfield numbers. So he's got a lift, much like the player who gets the negative 3 this week in Angus Brayshaw. I'm not going to rant too much about Brayshaw, and like I've said, I've been driving the train when it comes to sticking to your premiums after I got burnt by trading out Heaney and Alex Witherden back in round three, but Brayshaw's fantasy role does not look the same to what it was last year. He's not getting as many easy marks, and he's not getting anywhere near as many tackles, so he's someone that's definitely on the chopping block for coaches, and yeah, it's a tough to peg. I mean, you want to back these guys in after what you've seen from them years past. He had a fantastic preseason, was scoring well on the JLT, so... Honestly, I'm at a bit of a loss for words with Gus Brayshaw. Approaching never again list territory is my negative two this week in Isaac Heaney. Back-to-back 60s after having three tons between round three, four, and five. What the hell are you doing, Isaac? Talk about a frustrating fantasy player. He's like Jack Billings all over again from a year ago, but Heaney's been doing this since he pretty much came into the competition. We all expected this to be his breakout year, much like we have done for the last three seasons, and... Seems like Heaney's just going to cause as many headaches as he is uh, great scores. So, if again, you 
got to hold these type of guys, but I don't know. He's only priced at 600 grand, and a bit of a sideways move to Josh Dunkley probably isn't a terrible idea. Finally, the neg one goes to a Bulldog in Caleb Daniel. There are a lot of Bulldogs who managed to get in on the fantasy points train up at Brisbane against uh, the Lions, and Daniel wasn't one of them. Only managed 64 points. Was a pretty popular trade target as well, and someone that I'm considering in the near future, but a 64 isn't really going to inspire a lot of coaches to bring him in, so... He'll be better, don't go trading him out or anything like that, but uh, yeah, again, like all these guys in the Neg 5 column, you gotta lift, Caleb. Alright, trade tactics time. Now, I'm not going to discuss too much about the trades, I'll be honest, with uh, regards to bringing in defenders and forwards, because I think there's a bit of a cloud you can almost throw over maybe from 4th to the 8th or ninth best forward and defender. It's a bit of a mixed bag. And honestly, I th would advise you to bring in the ones that suit your buy structure. So personally, I'm weak in my back line on guys in round 12. So after James Sicily has his buy, I might look to bring him in. And up forward, I don't have many round 14 guys. And there's not many that inspire me to trade them in. Jack Martin and Dustin Martin are probably the two that come to mind. But... In the midfield, there's definitely uh, pretty much take your pick with regards to premium upgrades. If you want to get someone like Zach Merritt, he's got the round 12 buy and is someone that, behind Mitch Duncan, numbers-wise, is arguably the form player of the competition right now. Looks super fantasy relevant again. We do need to remember that Zach Merritt had a 50 to start the year, but since then, he hasn't gone under 95. So I'm not going to say he's back because, I'll be honest, he's been putting up numbers all year. Andrew Gaff and the aforementioned Clayton Oliver are two guys who have the round 13 buy that you might want to try and target. I'm a bit heavy on round 14 buy players, so I probably won't look to bring many of them in. But if you're a little bit light, you could probably take a punt on Josh Kelly, who hasn't been able to string many consecutive games together yet this year. But when he does, he's probably, like I said in the preseason, going to be right amongst the top averages fantasy-wise this year. On Wednesday, as per usual, you can check out my Dream Team Talk Cash Cows Guide, but... We are lacking a little bit in the uh, downgrade target mould this week. I know that Jay Lockhart will tempt a lot of people after his back-to-back -back decent scores, but he did play Gold Coast on the weekend. Let's just remember that. Had a 90, which was great to see, but he's currently sitting at 340 grand. So I would not advise bringing him in, only because it's almost double what a basement type of player is. Think about what you can do with all that money. And the similar can almost be said for Noah Ainsworth. He, not Ainsworth, Ainsworth. I keep getting that wrong every week and I'm correcting myself now. Noah Ainsworth. He will probably stay in the side because of Zach Bailey's injury, but didn't have a fantastic game. Only scored a 40, but he's about 100 grand over basement price. And again, it's not a great investment. If you're looking in the forward line for a downgrade target, that's probably your best bet. I like Corbett, as I've talked about multiple times uh, on this podcast and YouTube channel, but... Nick Larkey is definitely an option. He's kind of maybe eat humble pie with his game on the weekend. And both of them have risen a little bit too much in price to be a bonafide uh, downgrade target. But hopefully we can see Braden Ham and Curtis Taylor hold their spot. They only scored 30s on the weekend. As a result, they're still really cheap. But if they hold their spot, you might have to take a punt on one of them. Trade out blokes. Now, I've talked about a few from my team and I'm going to highlight those two in particular. But... Those stepping stone type of guys that you started the season with, it's almost time to move them on and try and upgrade them to an uber premium. So someone like Brody Smith, for me, was the guy that I was hoping I could turn into Lockie Whitfield. I might honestly have to get rid of him sooner because he seems to have flatlined a bit in price. And the similar can be said with James Warple in the forward line. Both of them sitting about the 580 mark, but there's no clear-cut trade target that I want to go up to. Like I've said, I've got... 
Laird and Lloyd in my back line, and I've got Boak, Danger, and who am I forgetting? Travis Boak. No, Tim Kelly, sorry, uh, in my forward line. So if you don't own any of those guys, I can see a benefit in moving up to grab one of them. Probably wise to wait a bit on Lockie Whitfield. He's going to come down in price, and fingers crossed, we'll come back on the field this week. But if you can't move those guys on, I honestly can't blame you for trading out the likes of Heaney and Brayshaw. Brayshaw is someone in my trade plans this week, and stick to your premiums. I'm going to say it a thousand times, but I'm probably not going to take my own advice. So uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your fantasy team, but if you want to swing the axe and make one of those guys uh, make way for someone like a Josh Dunkley or upgrade Brayshaw to a superstar midfielder, then there's definitely merit in doing that. A couple of rookie injuries will force some coaches' hands this week. And let me just quickly say, because of the lack of downgrade targets, you don't have to trade these guys out right away. I will probably look to move one of them on, and maybe both of them. We'll see how I go. But I'm, of course, I'm talking about Jack Ross, who has no timetable uh, for his return after injuring his ankle against Frio. Only scored an 11, so went down a little bit in price. And even if you want to hold him until he comes back, like I said, with no timetable, it's way too risky. And his break-even shot up to about 65, something like that. Similar to Tommy Atkins. Only had a two on the weekend. Hopefully you're not listening to this or watching this with him sitting on your field somewhere. But both of them are probably the top trade-out targets. But again, like I said, because of the lack of downgrade options, you don't have to move them on right away. Why is that? Because they're not going to lose any value if they stay on the sidelines and don't play. You know what I mean? Failing that, another couple of forwards you might want to look to move on in maybe Petrocelli or Parker are still sitting in your teams. You might even have Jack Scrimshaw, who I don't know the full extent of his injury. I didn't manage to watch much of that game, but he's someone I moved out last week, and he only just ticked over his break-even this week. So if you want to go down, I wouldn't I wouldn't advise going down to Lockhart, but you might be able to pocket 60 grand there, and it's not a terrible move, so... Yeah, maybe I'm just uh, not a huge fan of that move because I don't like paying up that much money for a downgrade target. But with Lockhart having the lowest break-even in the competition this week, I could definitely see why someone would want to do that. Draft League waiver wire time. And this week's hot ad is, in my eyes, Andrew McGrath. Because I was pretty surprised to find him sitting in multiple leagues that I'm in uh, on the waiver wire. So I snapped him up real quickly with his defense and midfield flexibility. You might not be so lucky. He is in about 63% of teams. A similar thing could be said for Liam Shields. He's in about two-thirds of leagues. So chances are, if you are in a league, maybe a, like a four or six-team league, that's probably the leagues that he's sitting in. But some people might have just fallen asleep at the wheel after he got injured. So make sure you check the waiver wire to see if he's sitting there. If you can't snag him, another bloke with defense and midfield status that I do like the looks of is Lockie Weller. He's had a couple of good games, and I think from memory his three-round average is around 90, so piecing it together a bit and someone I'd look to invest in. If you want someone with a lower ownership percentage, Liam Duggan's probably my pick in about 11% of draft sides. He's definitely someone that can add a little bit of a string to your bow and some depth in the defense position. In the rucks, as per usual, not a hell of a lot to talk about, but Tommy Bell Chambers in only 42% of teams seems like he's going to have all of, or the majority of, Essendon's ruck duties moving forwards. I know that Zach Clark and maybe Joey Danaher and those guys will have a bit of a hit into his numbers, but if you need an option and you're desperate to try and find a, someone to stopgap that ruck spot, then Bell Chambers might be your answer. Or you could even look for Jonathan Segler, who came back this week for Hawthorne, had a solid score, and has kind of complimented McAvoy well enough to warrant uh, being picked in your side, especially if you're in a deeper league and you really need some ruck help. 
Lastly, up forward, Brandon Parford is someone I've talked about in this section before, and now that he's back in the cat side, he's someone that is definitely a hot waiver wire add. 35% of coaches, or 35% of teams, I should say, own him in their draft side, so he's still probably up for grabs out there. And if you're not a huge fan of that move, then Stephen Motlop's another bloke who just returned that you could take a punt on, had a 70 on the weekend, and seems like he's destined to average around the 70, 75 mark. So they're probably the two forwards that I'd look to add to my lines if I needed some help there. Lastly, my moves. I am probably going to chop out Tommy Atkins this week, only because of his high break even and the fact that there's a lot of forwards up for grabs in the downgrade area like I've talked about. So he'll probably go, and I'm crossing my fingers and toes that I can get Curtis Taylor in the mix because, I'll be honest, he really would help with my buy structure needing around 14 bloke. I'm not going to hold my breath though. And at this stage, I am uh, not listening to my own advice and I'm getting rid of Angus Brayshaw. And the reason I'm getting rid of Angus Brayshaw, even if he goes and drops a couple of 120s in a row, I'm not going to be too butthurt because I'm getting in Andrew Gaff, who personally I think is the most consistent AFL fantasy player in the entire competition. You could make the case for someone like Cripps or Josh Kelly when he's on the field, but Andrew Gaff is a walking 30-35 touches. So... He's got the D's this week, and he's got fantastic numbers against the Bulldogs, who he has in a couple of weeks. And because they have the same buy round, it doesn't really hurt me too much in that capacity. So Gaffy for Brayshaw is a very good move for me. I might be tempted to bring in Zach Merritt, but while I can get Andrew Gaff, he's someone that I do really love, and I think I'm just going to do it. And that is the Round 8 wrap-up. Thank you for tuning in. Once again, make sure you check out the previously mentioned pod watch article that I talked about to see if there's a couple of unique blokes in there that you might want to bring into your team, get a little bit outside the box thinking. Of course, you can check out my Dream Team talk piece on Wednesday for all the rookies and cash cow guides. I did just produce an article on the NBA lottery and which teams need to probably win that the most. Um, I am going to do an article on Chris Paul and James Harden probably won't be up by the time you're watching this. That'll come up Wednesday or Thursday later in the week. And then I've got a few other pieces that I'm going to work on, including a Fry's Fast Five this week talking about NFL fantasy. But once again, thank you for tuning in. Good luck with your trades this week. Good luck in round nine. And until next time, peace.